Gonzaga earned an extremely hard-fought victory over BYU on Saturday, and a lot of what we saw shows why this team still has a chance to really make some noise in March. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That is linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, happy Monday. Happy Zags victory over BYU. They earn the season sweep in the final year of BYU being in the WCC. Today is also Mailbag Monday, so we are going to answer listener-submitted questions all episode long. Just a reminder for those of you who are new to the show, new to Locked On, new to the Zags, whatever it may be, uh, we take Mailbag Monday questions every Monday. You can submit them via email, andypatton 13 at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Twitter. Usually I post a tweet on Sunday morning soliciting questions. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andy Patton CBB and get your questions answered that way. Plenty to get through today, so we'll get started right away. This first question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, talk about a scary game. BYU hit seven threes in the first half. The defensive effort was lacking to say the least. What improved or changed in the second half, or did we just barely squeak out a win by pure luck? Yeah, I got to be honest with you, dude. That's not how I saw this game at all. Uh, it was not a lucky game. It was not a lucky game. Uh, yeah, the defensive, there was defensive issues. I'm not going to, uh, that's that's accurate. There have been defensive issues for, for Gonzaga in a, lot of, in a lot of games this year. Their perimeter defense struggles, and BYU, uh, more than any other team in the conference, has really figured out how to exploit that. But if we're talking about luck, I mean, this BYU team has shot 32% in every game except against Gonzaga, where they seem to shoot 50-plus percent. Some of that is scheme. Some of that is them getting open looks, getting out in transition, being able to find shooters that way. Uh, some of that is them just playing up against their level of competition. That happens. And, and I think for Gonzaga to weather that storm, make adjustments at halftime, find better ways to to take care of the basketball, find better ways to get their offense involved, getting Drew Timmy involved, and really, quite honestly, the – intentional effort all game long to get BYU's bigs in foul trouble. Drew Timmy is outstanding at this, outstanding at getting the basketball, getting position, finding a way to draw contact and get to the free throw line. Anton Watson did an excellent job of getting to the free throw line as well. He really struggled to make his free throws. Drew Timmy did not do that. But for Gonzaga, their ability to get to the free throw line completely hamstrung BYU in the second half. They had to do this constant substitution pattern with Fusuni Traore. Uh, they didn't have much of Ali Atiki Ali in the second half. They were down to their third string big men, and then Drew Timmy just was able to go to work. Anton Watson was able to go to work. The BYU wasn't able to get any offense going. Gonzaga could suddenly press uh, out on the perimeter a little bit more, knowing that there wasn't a lot of a low post offensive presence in the game. And then they went out and knocked down 16 straight free throws. None of that is luck whatsoever. This was a intentional defensive or intentional change in Gonzaga's strategy and in the intentional kind of waiting out, waiting out BYU because they knew that getting those bigs in foul trouble was going to be something that impacted the team down the stretch. I thought this was a well-coached game. Gonzaga still has flaws. And those flaws still showed up in this game. But I don't think that them coming back and winning was any way luck. I think it was a, a good, 
well-executed game plan, and then really good execution at the free throw line down the stretch. Which leads into the next question here from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, how about the Gonzaga free throw shooting in the second half against BYU? They made 16 free throws in a row. Free throws have been quite the liability most of the year. We can only hope this continues. Yeah, of course. It was excellent stuff. Excellent stuff from the Zags. I mean, we knew that BYU was in foul trouble. Again, that was an intentional strategy by the, the Zags in the first half. And early in the second half, I know a lot of BYU fans have pointed to the uh, free throw discrepancy between the two teams as, as some kind of argument against uh, home cooking from the referees, uh, looking at a full game and saying, look at how much more free throws the winning team took is a, is just about as flawed as people saying, well, teams that run the ball in the NFL win more games. Yes, because you run the ball when you have a lead. You also get to the free throw line when you have a lead. Gonzaga, most, they took 34 free throws in this game. A lot of them were in those final few minutes of that basketball game because BYU was intentionally fouling in order to stop the clock. So that foul discrepancy means pretty much nothing to me. Yeah, it was pretty significant, but it was also an intentional strategy by Gonzaga's offensive players. BYU took a lot more threes. You're less likely to get fouled when you're shooting threes. So you saw less free throws for BYU, more free throws for Gonzaga. It was a strategy by the Zags, and it worked. I don't know that they're going to go on a lot of 16 and 16 free throw runs the rest of the season, but... I was happy to see Mark Few roll out a lineup that included Hunter Salas, which we'll talk about momentarily, uh, roll out a lineup that they felt was capable of hitting free throws. They took out Anton Watson. They took out Drew Timmy. They rolled with a lineup that made more sense, and they knocked down a bunch of shots at the line and ended up securing a victory. Next question here, another one from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, I could be wrong here, but looks like Salas is getting some more time at the one. Definitely feeling he is getting more opportunities offensively than we have seen earlier in the season. Am I seeing things? No, you're not seeing things in the sense that he is playing more minutes at the one or he did in this game. Uh, when Henry Salas is playing the one, they don't run their pick and roll offense as much. They kind of just get into a motion offense. They kind of they move the ball around and they look to get the ball to Drew Timmy. It's not dramatically different, but I do think that Hunter Salas, when he's playing the one, isn't being asked to be as much of a playmaker as Nolan Hickman is, or even as Rasir Bolton would be. Uh, Salas is still offensively used a lot as a decoy, uh, as a cutter, as a guy, you know, flying to the rim to get offensive rebounds, that kind of stuff. When he does get the ball in his hands and is asked to create a shot, either because the shot clock's winding down or just because he has an ability to attack the rim, we see a very capable offensive player. His ability to get to the line, to to get to make his free throws, to know when to shoot, know when to pass, know when to make the right play. He had a good no-look pass in that game. We are seeing a player who has those offensive skills. I don't think that his role is changing is the, is the point that I'm trying to make, but I do believe that he is coming into his own more as a confident offensive player, which helps Gonzaga. Next question here comes from Christian. Final question of the first segment. Christian, Christian says, excuse me, the first half of the St. Mary's game and the start of the BYU game had an urgency that is exciting and leads to an up-tempo pace that the Zags like. When there's complacency on defense, it feels like bringing in Salas and Greg gives them the same jolt that Cook and Watson previously provided. I know there are negatives to this, but could this be one of the keys to offset questionable perimeter defense? And can we trap and apply pressure some of the time? Yeah, bringing players off the bench should always provide that jolt. That's always what that what that goal should be. Uh, the Zags have had players better at that than others in the past. Aaron Cook is a great example. Anton Watson for the last three years has been a great example of that. And Hunter Salas is a great example of that as well. It's kind of why when we've been advocating for more playing time for Hunter Salas, I haven't necessarily been advocating for him to step into the starting lineup. Certainly not anymore. There was some struggles with Rasir Bolton earlier in the year and some people kind of calling for a potential starting lineup change there. But I don't necessarily think Hunter Salas needs to start for this team. You can argue the deserving factor, but for me, it's more that his role is valuable coming off the bench. 
That's kind of how I see that. And it's similar with Ben Gregg. Now you mentioned these guys coming off the bench to help with perimeter defense. Ben doesn't help with that. Ben's a great offensive rebounder. He's a, he's a good defensive rebounder. He's a hustle guy. He's a tenacious player. He's not a particularly great on-ball defensive player. So he didn't really help with that necessarily. He just brings more energy onto the floor, which is good. In terms of the trapping and applying pressure, I, I think Gonzaga does this a good amount of time already, to be quite honest with you. I think more of it leads out to transition opportunities for the opposing team. We've seen teams take advantage of Gonzaga's attempted traps and get open, easy looks uh, because Gonzaga doesn't react well when when they are beat. In transition, they don't find shooters particularly well on the perimeter. I think trapping a lot, if the team breaks the trap, they're going to get an open three most of the time. BYU did it a lot. Uh, not as much in this game, a lot more in the first game. And so I think... Gonzaga uses the trap pretty well. I think more trapping would actually be a negative for this team. All right, more listeners submitted questions getting answered coming up in the second segment, including talk about BYU and the Big 12 Conference. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond the resume data by using insights from your job post company and their $875 million million member profiles Excuse me, to post your job in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them fast and for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked on Zags. I want to thank you all for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, make sure to check out the Locked on College Basketball Podcast. It's everything you know need to know about college hoops in one place. You hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, segment two here, more listener submitted questions to get through this first one here comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, could Drew Timmy's ability to facilitate help him get drafted? I know he's not DeMontis Sabonis, but some great passes last night in tying his career high in assists. Yeah, here's the thing with Drew. Um, a lot of his skills don't translate for one pretty simple reason. His role is going to be dramatically different in the NBA. For those of you who are listening, I don't know how much uh, I know there's a variety for how much people watch the NBA. I don't watch a ton, but I do watch the Blazers when I can. And what what we see in the modern NBA is floor spacing. There is not a big centered in the under the basket, getting the basketball and having the offense be run through them. It's just not happening in the modern NBA. That is the skill that, that Drew Timmy has, getting the basketball down low, feeling out the defense, making a move to go towards the rim, making a move to try to draw contact and get to the free throw line, or making the correct pass out of either a coming double team, an already there double team, or even just making a good pass out of single coverage. All of those skills only translate if Drew Timmy is in an NBA offense where, the other, where the, his team is feeding him the basketball and kind of waiting for him to do something. That is not going to happen in the NBA. You look at DeMontis Sabonis and his passing skills. He is utilized away from the rim. 
DeMontis Sabonis rarely gets the basketball under the basket. He gets the basket at the high post. They run screen actions off of him. Uh, They have him make entry passes. They have him step back and shoot threes. They have him do all of this different stuff that Drew Timmy, maybe he could do, but that's not how he's currently being utilized. I don't see Drew Timmy's ability to pass out of double teams in the low post as a skill that necessarily translate. If it did, Shemek Karnowski probably would have played in the NBA. He was very good at that. But his skills didn't translate to the modern NBA for the same reasons that Drew Timmy's skills don't really translate to the modern NBA. Drew is a more gifted low post scorer than Shemek was. Uh, I'm not sure he's quite as good of a passer, although I think that they are comparable. But at the end of the day, Drew Timmy's not a great free throw shooter and he's not a good three-point shooter. And until those skills materialize in a way where he could be an NBA player who is consistently standing at the three-point line, standing at the mid post, uh, playing out away from the basket, it's hard for any of his skills that we see from him as being a low post player, it's hard for me to see any of those skills translating at the next level. And I think that NBA scouts are going to view that similarly. Next question here comes from Jeff. Jeff says before and after both BYU games uh, this year, Mark few repeatedly said that he is not thinking Zaga gets to either final four. If BYU does not first join the WCC, what do you think? Seems like there could be some truth here rather than just the pre and post game pleasantries. Uh, Yeah. I think that there's a little bit of truth here, a little bit of truth here, uh, but I think this is also mostly coach speak pleasantries. Yes, in 2017, Gonzaga lost to BYU on senior night. It was their first loss of the season, and that helped motivate this team and those players to get their stuff together, have a players-only meeting. I spoke to Jeremy Jones on a podcast a while ago, a couple years ago, actually, uh, and he talked about them having a closed-door meeting, them having a a players-only meeting after the BYU game, got their heads right, and went out and went all the way to the national championship game. You could make an argument, and it's a fairly reasonable argument, that had they not played BYU in that game, had they not lost to BYU in that game, that maybe they wouldn't have made that run to the national championship game. It's an argument that can be made. However, BYU is not the reason Jalen Suggs committed to Gonzaga. BYU is not the reason Chet Holmgren came to Gonzaga or Nigel Williams-Goss. I just I, I think that BYU coming to the WCC helped. It helped Gonzaga play more marquee games in the regular season. There is absolutely no debate about that. It is unquestionably true. I don't know how much it I, I don't know that taking them, removing them just removes Gonzaga's two final four appearances. I think Mark Few saying that he's not just saying that to say that. I don't think it's just like, oh, I'm just going to throw out this nice compliment to that. Like he, he, he's intentional with what he says. So I think that the, if he believes it's true, then who am I to say that it's not true? I guess that's one way to put it. I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical, but I'm happy that BYU has been in the WCC. I think their, in, their involvement in this conference over the last decade has been a net positive for Gonzaga. And yeah, if the coach believes that it's what got him to the Final Four, then let's, let's roll with it. I, I'm, I'm on board with that. Final question here of the second segment comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, obviously BYU leaving the WCC weakens the conference, but are there teams that can step up and fill the void? Is the WCC facing the same predicament or conundrum as the Pac-12? LMU is the only team in the history of the WCC to defeat Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU in the regular season. They can't seem to win some of the games a team needs to win to do what USF did last year. Who could the WCC add to best replace BYU? Or is this a moot point with Gonzaga likely headed to another conference in the near or not so distant future? Yeah, first of all, more conversation about Gonzaga to the Big 12 coming in later episodes. There were some mailbag questions about that that I have pushed to another episode. So I do want to acknowledge that. We will talk about it more uh, later this week. I don't think there's any WCC team that can fill the void. I I think that that's kind of part of this question is who's going to step up and help replace BYU? Nobody. Uh, BYU is a huge, 
huge institution. They have a huge student body. They have a huge alumni base. They have a ton of resources. They have more money, more boosters than any school in the WCC, and it's not close. And any school that would get added to the WCC, unless the WCC pulls a very surprising move somehow, any school that gets added to this conference is not going to be as resource rich as BYU. They're not going to have the alumni connections. They are not going to have the basketball history, most likely. They are not going to have the ability to land the kind of recruits that BYU was able to land while in the WCC. I have a hard time imagining that happening. And it's unfortunate because the WCC is going to have to replace BYU. They're going to replace them with a program that, while it might be an up-and-coming program, I'll I'll give you some names here momentarily. It might be a, a good basketball program currently. They're going to not be as like I said, research rich, research, resource rich. That is a hard phrase to say. They're not going to be at that level of BYU. And, and that's because BYU has, is a really high level for that. It's not, a, it's not a knock on any future programs in the WCC. It's just that BYU is this huge, huge, huge institution. So I think that that's, a, that's one of the first parts about this. They're not entirely replaceable. LMU stepping up is fantastic, but you know USF stepped up last year and now they're kind of back down again. We haven't seen a lot of teams step up consistently. The only team that's really ever stepped up consistently in the WCC since Gonzaga has been there is St. Mary's. They're the only team that's done it consistently. And boy, howdy, have they done it consistently for the record. 15, 18 years of, of, of excellence from St. Mary's outside of a few kind of not so great years, but they have been predominantly excellent in the WCC. But outside of that, USF has had some ebbs and flows. They've rarely been terrible, but they haven't always been all that good. LMU has been all over the place. We've seen Santa Clara all over the place. Hey, we saw St. Portland was ranked at one point uh, in the late 2010s or late 2000s. They're, you know, have been very up and down ever since then. Like we haven't seen anybody really step up consistently. And I, I don't have any indication looking at the other schools in the conference that anybody is about ready to do that. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that USF could do it. I'm optimistic that LMU could do it, but I'm not confident that any of those programs would do that in terms of who the conference could add uh yeah a lot of the same same names we've been hearing uh seattle u is one that comes up a lot uh jesuit school geographically located in the same spot as the rest of wcc schools uh you know similar institution from the size perspective of schools like portland and gonzaga and other schools kind of in that area uh far less resource resource rich i keep trying to say that phrase uh they don't have as much money they don't have as much staff they don't have uh i mean they're still working on a basketball facility on campus they have one right now that's very very small they're working on building another one. They do get to play some games at Climate Pledge Arena, which is very cool. They're in a huge market of ta- basketball talent, which helps, but they're behind right now. They're 128th in Ken Palm this season, so you can make an argument that adding them this year's team right now to this conference, they would be in the middle of the pack, which is fantastic. But they're they're not quite ready to really compete on a year-to-year basis. I think they're close, and I think if they were added, they would probably get there. They would find ways to bump up and be there. I, I believe in Chris Victor, the head coach over there, but they got some work to do to necessarily be in that conversation. A couple other schools from the WAC that get some consideration as well. Grand Canyon is the common one that comes up. Right now, they're basically the same as Seattle U from a basketball perspective, 120th in Ken Palm as of this conversation. Cal Baptist, 162nd, a much newer uh, program to the Division I level, but kind of a program on the rise might be a fun addition to see what they can do coming into the conference. Uh, Outside of that, football is the big issue for a lot of other WCC schools. Could they convince a team to come to the conference uh, that would just move their football to independent? Uh, UC Irvine, perhaps, Cal Poly in the Big West, programs like that who might be willing to, to move their football to a different level and compete in the WCC in every other sport, basketball, baseball, et cetera. 
but I don't know. I, I'm, I, it's hard to say. And then, of course, the last part of this question is about, uh, is it a moot point? It just depends. It's not a moot point for WCC fans. Is it a moot, pan, moot point for Gonzaga fans? Maybe. I don't think Gonzaga is going to be in the Big 12 next year or even the year after that necessarily, but I think there's a chance that we hear an announcement uh, soon relatively, like not necessarily in the next month or so, but eventually. I think uh, over the summer we could be really talking about this extensively, and if if some kind of agreement comes forward with the Big 12 or if somebody else steps up and, and tries to pull Gonzaga away, we could be talking about that happening in 2025 potentially uh, and giving the WCC some more chances to try to replace both Gonzaga and BYU. But boy, howdy, that is not going to be an easy task for the new commissioner of the WCC. More listeners submitted questions, including talk about Sloot and Dan Dickow and my top eight Gonzaga team of all time. But first, a word from today's sponsor, Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, then you have got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me where you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then man, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't even think they're good for you. They are perfect for your New Year's resolutions. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar wow, with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. Now, you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club today. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs at your nearest Walmart or Sam's Club today. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zag, still working through Mailbag Monday here after Gonzaga's big win over BYU and ahead of matchups this week against LMU and Pepperdine. This next question here comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, what are your thoughts on the pool of potential national champions? Also, which is more important, seeding or matchups? In other words, a 2-3 seed is in theory better than a 4 for a number of reasons, but in one potential bracket, I saw the Zags were a 4 seed and I liked the potential path better than what the 2 or the 3 seeds faced. Uh, well, for in terms of title contenders uh, or the, the pool, Houston is my title favorite right now. I know there's a lot of debate about Houston or Alabama being the new number one team after Purdue fell again. Uh, I was on the side of Houston. Some people didn't like that. A lot of Alabama fans believe that Alabama should be the best team in the country. Of course, they do have a head-to-head matchup. Alabama did win. Houston was up 15 in that game, so I think it's, it doesn't necessarily show that Alabama is the better team. I also think head-to-head matchups don't prove a whole lot. Gonzaga is probably not a better basketball team than Alabama, even though they had that victory. Uh, but I'm taking the field. This year's got so much parity. And if you gave me Houston, Bama, and Purdue or the field, I'd still take the field, to be quite honest. I, I just, I don't see, this is not like Gonzaga Baylor when everybody said, well, it's Gonzaga and Baylor are going to be in the championship. And everybody was right because Gonzaga and Baylor were the two best teams in the country and they just rolled through the NCAA tournament in the way that they did. I don't see that this year. Houston, very, very good. Offensively, defensively, both top 10 in Ken Palm. They have really good young talent in Jairus Walker, Terrence Arsenault. They have really good veteran talent, Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser. This really, really good team, of course. Alabama has Brandon Miller and, and Purdue has Zach Eady and really, really talented young guards. So a lot of good, good teams, not a lot of great teams. 
but I think that this is going to be a year where the bracket's going to be as hard as it's ever been to project. Uh, in terms of the seeding conversation, it ma- the matchups matter more. A four seed with better matchups for their team is much more preferred in my mind than a two seed where you're drawing a even even a really tough seven seed and then a really tough three seed. I'd rather be the four seed if you think you could beat that one seed. Like it, it seeding matters. Uh, I, don't get me wrong, seeding mat- matters, but matchups matter more. I've always thought that, and I think if Gonzaga gets a, p- a potentially good draw even out of the five line, if they fall down on the five line, but they get a good draw with a four seed they can beat uh, and a one seed that maybe is is a bit more tenuous, which this year <laughs> there's going to be every, every team's flawed. Every No no team is perfect right now. Uh, I think Gonzaga could have a potential chance to, to move all the way to the Elite Eight or Final Four uh, as a four or five seed, depending on those matchups. Next question here comes from Jeff. Jeff says, with both the Gonzaga men and women winning big games on Saturday to position themselves to win the WCC titles, in 12 days on February 25th, what are we most likely to see? A, both the Gonzaga men and women win at least a share of the WCC title. B, only the men win. C, only the women win. D, neither team win the WCC title. A, going with A. I think Gonzaga is going to beat St. Mary's at home on the 25th. Uh, I think that that gives them at least a share of the WCC title, provided, of course, they don't slip up again. They got LMU on Thursday. We will see how that game goes. Uh, they got Pepperdine. That should be one that they win. But, you know, you never know in the WCC this year. Uh, but I think that for, for the men's team, I think they're going to at least get a share of the WCC title. I feel pretty confident about that. For the women, I do too. I do too. Obviously, they got that win over Portland. It's still going to be a, a tough matchup for them going down the stretch. We'll kind of see how they how the things shake out for them. But I think they're going to at least get a share of the WC title. And I think there's a pretty good chance they win it outright. So I'm going A. I think despite all of the consternation about this team this year, especially on the men's side, uh, I think that Gonzaga is going to come away with two WCC titles or at least shares of two WCC titles when all is said and done. A couple more questions here before we wrap things up. On Monday here, this one comes from Christian. Christian says, can you take a few moments to discuss the impact Courtney Vandersloot and Dan Dickow had on the Gonzaga basketball programs? I appreciate and respected how much love they gave their coaches, former players, etc. Seems like an example of athletes who have a high level of respect and appreciation for the opportunities they've been given. Yeah, I sure hope if you go back to your old school and are, are talking uh, about your success in your career that you're giving some thanks to those people. And it was good to see Dan and Courtney both do that. Uh, glad to see these ceremonies finally happen for starters. I think that's a big part of this i know courtney people have been saying why haven't they done this blah 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 blah. they've been trying for a really long time for those who didn't know courtney most most every season she plays overseas between her WNBA seasons she finishes up the WNBA, which ends over the summer late summer and then she goes and plays overseas until the next WNBA season which goes over throughout the entire women's basketball season. So they've wanted to honor Courtney. They've wanted to hang her jersey in the rafters. They've wanted to do the whole thing. Uh, and they haven't been able to because she hasn't been there and they want her to be there. But this year, because she was a free agent, she ended up signing with New York, joins Brianna Stewart, John Kell Jones, and of course, Sabrina Ionescu over on the Liberty. Because she was signing with a new contract, she didn't want to play overseas. There's, of course, some other reasons that women's basketball players are not as confident going overseas because of the Brittany Griner situation. Uh, and so I think for Courtney... This was the year to do it. This was the opportunity, uh, and I'm really glad they got it done. She's an absolute legend, the greatest Gonzaga basketball player of all time. Uh, statistically, it's not even close. Um, put women's basketball on the map in a significant way. Uh, a lot of people think the men's program carried the women's program. And to an, that certainly helps. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't help. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't mean everything. It, there's programs that have great men's teams that don't have good women's teams. It's not like that. It's, those things are necessarily mutually exclusive. And for the women's team, Kelly Graves' ability to recruit Courtney, to convince her to come, to Spokane and then let her do her thing over four years was 
monumental for this program's success. And they're not where they are today without Courtney Vanderstood. And the same arguments can be made for Dan. First marquee transfer coming over from Washington to Gonzaga, making that decision, uh, you know, which at the time was was very unprecedented to leave a Pac-12 power, you know, Pac-10, I guess, power program like that uh, to come over to Spokane and play for the Zags. Uh, a lot of programs make deep runs in the NCAA tournament and then vanish. Loyola Chicago vanished. George Mason vanished. VCU vanished. Gonzaga didn't vanish. Part of the reason they didn't vanish is because Dan Deco decided to come from Washington to Spokane, play for the Zags, play alongside Blake Stepp, help kind of keep the program afloat, keep the program successful. They had some very, very good years while Dan was there. He was an All-American. He was an NBA draft pick, put Gonzaga on the map, and really helped keep them on the map. Tremendous player, both of them being still involved in the program in some capacities. Dan, obviously, quite involved in the program. Uh, It's very, very cool uh, to see that. It's very, very kind of a Gonzaga story to see these people still around and still involved and still kind of doing things around the community in Spokane and, and I think they're two of the two of the best to ever do it. And it was cool to see them get that get that recognition and celebration over the last couple of weeks. Final question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, what is your all time dream Gonzaga team? I'll give you a starting five and three off the bench dream team. Huh? I thought about picking more of my favorite players like Mike Hart or Jeremy Jones or some other players like that. Ultimately decided to try to put just the best team together that I could put based on trying to make sure I had good outside shooting, good defense, good just as much different variety of skills as I possibly could. There are a billion reasons to debate this. Be polite if you want to debate it, but I, yeah, there's plenty of different conversations we could have about this team. I'll go through it here. Starting at center, Brandon Clark. Starting at power forward, Chet Holmgren. Starting at small forward, Adam Morrison. That's the easiest one for me. Starting at shooting guard, Jalen Suggs. We'll play him off the ball. Starting at point guard, Nigel Williams-Goss. So just before we get to the bench, guys, looking at the starting lineup here, Adam Morrison is a weak leak defensively, but I think that Jalen Suggs, Nigel Williams-Goss, Chet Holmgren, and Brandon Clark makes this a dominant defensive team for Gonzaga. Dominant. Four of the best defensive players they have had. Nigel Williams-Goss is maybe not an elite defensive player, but he's one of the best defensive point guards they've ever had. Suggs, Holmgren, Clark are about as good as this team has ever had on that end of the floor. Uh, You're a little bit lacking in outside shooting. Obviously, Adam Morrison is the catapult for that. And then Chet Holmgren. And I, I, I almost had Holmgren coming off the bench, decided to insert him into the starting lineup so that you have two Really good outside shooters. Williams Goss was a capable outside shooter. Kind of mitigates the the lack of outside shooting you have from Suggs and Clark. Three bench guys for this team. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis is my backup big. Corey Kispert is my backup wing. Kevin Pangos is my backup point guard. Wanted to get some more shooting coming off the bench, hence Kispert and Pangos. Uh, I just think DeMontis Sabonis is way too good to not have on this roster. It is impossible to pick out of the bigs because I'm leaving off tremendous big players. I'm leaving off Drew Timmy, which feels insane, quite honestly. It feels insane to not have Drew Timmy on this roster. It also feels insane to not have Kelly Olynyk on this roster. It feels weird to not have Kyle Wilcher on this roster or Roni Turioff uh, going to the guard rooms. It feels weird to not have Blake Stepp on this roster. Like there are uh, Andrew Nemhart is not on this roster. Dan Dickow, who we just mentioned, is not on this roster. It's hard. It's really hard to make a team here. But for me, this team has low post scoring, 
They have good distributors, good facilitators. They have good outside shooting, and they are very, very good defensively. And to me, this team would be really, really hard to beat. But I'd love to hear your opportunities. I'd love to hear your options, your thoughts, your questions, who you would add, who you would replace, all of that stuff. These conversations are fun. We'll probably have a lot more of these kind of conversations in the offseason. Uh, this is a bit more of an offseason type question, but I can never pass up the opportunity to hit a, hit a top eight Gonzaga players of all time question. So I'm glad we got this one in. Thanks again to Austin. And please let me know your thoughts if you have them. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Plenty more coming your way later this week. We got some fun stuff coming, uh, talking about the Big 12. Like I said, we've got some games to preview this week, all sorts of good stuff. Also, check out the new podcast, Lockdown College Basketball. Plenty of great stuff there as we get closer and closer to March. It is available wherever you get podcasts. It is also on YouTube. Go to YouTube. Do me a favor. Hit that subscribe button on Locked On Zags and Locked On College Basketball. It takes about 10 seconds. Really helps me out. Leave a review on iTunes if you haven't done so yet. Finally, I do want to thank every single one of you for listening to the show. And of course, go Zags.